I'm Kira, and I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy today, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, 20 through 25. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land that he has sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. Thank you so much, Kira. Well, good morning to you online and good morning to our small studio audience here. Uh, as we begin and think about where God is taking us in Deuteronomy, a question I have for you, and I asked this online this week, what were some of the rules you had as a child? So go ahead and post those in the comments. I'll see if we can get some of those. What were some of the rules that you had as a child? So we did get some responses already. First of all, we got uh, from Katie with an IE. Don't want to confuse you with Katie with a Y. Katie with an IE said to be home by 10 p.m. and to eat all the food on her plate. I think I had that rule. I'm guessing those are two different rules, Katie with an IE. Not the same rule, but maybe. You know, let me know. And Katie with a Y said, yes, we could not watch SpongeBob in our house. So no square pants for you. Kirk uh, and I, I think, had the same rule. No Simpsons. Uh, Bree had one of my favorites. Bree said, um, to come home when the streetlights are still on, to not use the stove or the ATVs if no one else is home. Again, I think two different rules. Uh, and to clean your room like grandma is coming over every two weeks. So, uh, you know, again, I'm not sure what yours were, but uh, one of mine was uh, no hiding in the dryer for hide and seek. That was not a rule when I was like six that was a rule when I was about 10 after I had done that once and no one found me for 45 minutes. So uh, I'm okay, little therapy, I'm okay though. So what's interesting about some of these rules, actually one of my staff found one from uh, Minnesota, like one of the Minnesota laws of 2000 that didn't get repealed until 2015 was um, 
to limit the number of bingo days in a nursing home or senior center. In fact, you could only have two days of bingo per week. Otherwise, you're prohibited from playing. So if you went to go visit someone in the nursing home and they'd already played their two days a week of bingo, like off limits. That's, that's too wild. Bingo, we don't know. What is interesting about these rules that at least um, Katie and Katie and Kirk and Bree and, and I share is that none of those rules I'm pretty sure are followed anymore. Like I'm fairly confident, I know Kirk, I'm fairly confident he can watch The Simpsons now. And I'm, I'm fairly confident that Bree can use the stove if she's home alone. Um, I, even though physics would not let me go into the dryer, I could actually probably go in the dryer. And even, even Minnesota, you can play bingo these days. So why do we have these rules? And um, if we don't actually follow them anymore. So I think rules definitely have their place and their purpose. But if we focus on the rules, then we can miss what's most important. And today we'll discover why. So in a very famous story from the Bible where Jesus is being interviewed or interrogated by some religious elite, he's asked what the most important command of all the commands is. What are the most important ones? And if you've been reading along in your Immerse Beginnings book with us, you've actually read all or just about all of those commands. There's over 600, and they're sprinkled throughout Exodus, Leviticus, probably Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so, what, uh, if, if you haven't read or if you're behind in your reading, I'll just review a few. There's, there's one about not cooking a goat in its mother's milk. There's another about not sewing two types of fabrics together. There's another about rescuing your neighbor's donkey if it falls in a pit, even if it's the Sabbath day. And then, of course, some that we might all know and remember about not stealing, not, not killing, and and not worshiping other gods. So, when Jesus answers this question, he actually quotes one of Moses' final commands that here read for us in his first part of the what's most important answer. Now, first of all, it might be, might be appropriate for us to wonder, like, why does Jesus quote Moses as part of his most important well, Moses is Israel's greatest prophet, like of all time. He's the one with, he's the veteran leader that has this comprehensive view of their history, their culture, and their perspective. He has been around for a long time, and he's actually giving, in Deuteronomy, he's giving the final speech to the present and future generations about how they're to love God and love other people in this new place that they're going to go to. How, however, if you read Deuteronomy, it can read like a long list of rules. And that's a lot of times, if, when in my conversations with people that might not be familiar with Christianity or, or might not have a really good understanding of the Bible, that's what they think. They assume that the Bible's just a bunch of religious rules to obey. And yet, Moses says something in this section that, that grabs the attention of people that has literally never been said before in this point. It's the key 
to true faith or to true life and lasting faith. So much so that Jesus quotes, Jesus, who's the Son of God, quotes it 1,500 years later. Now, what Moses says in one sentence connects religion to something greater, and that's relationship. See, I think faith dies when it deteriorates into a religious set of rules. But faith flourishes and multiplies when it's about a relationship that comes from one compelling force. Love. Deuteronomy 6 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He continues and says, You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them over and over again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you go to bed and when you get up. See, I think Moses knows that faith in God is not something that's external or something that's earned. But faith is internal because faith ultimately is trust. And yet it's something that's given. It's about knowing God not knowing about God. See, I can know correct information about God and be a jerk. The devil knows a lot about God. I can know about God and I cannot experience him, trust him, or feel his affection. And in this last verse that I just read about these commands I'm giving you today, you're to repeat them. Actually, the Hebrew word for commands is actually just the word, word. He's saying, the words I give you today are to be on your hearts. These words are ones that you're to repeat over and over. You're to talk about them with your kids and wherever you go throughout your day. The words are not supposed to be duty. They're not supposed to be just this list of to-dos but instead something to delight in. Because Moses knows, and I think we know, that duty always deteriorates. But delight can turn into love. And love can last. Because Moses knows it's going to get harder in the new place, not easier. He says, remember, when you go to the promised land, you're going to have all the perks of an established place. Cities, homes, roads, food, water. And, and Deuteronomy 6.12 says, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. And then he continues in verses 20 and 21 and says, in the future, your children are going to ask about the laws, decrees, and regulations. Again, they're going to ask about the rules. Because it always deteriorates into rules. And why, like, why did God give us all these rules and command us to obey them? Verse 21, you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. See, the Israelites cannot forget, and I think we can't forget even today, that relationship with God starts with rescue, not with rules. So Moses then addresses these people as if they're the past generation. 
He says, you were slaves in Egypt. You must do this. Remember when you rebelled. And, and you have to stop and go, wait a second. Like even the video said, these people really were probably never slaves in Egypt. They're, they're probably grown adults now who at best were babies, but really most likely would have been born in the wilderness. So why would Moses address the present generation as if they're their parents or their grandparents? And if their story is now the present story, why would he do that? Well, I think it's because it's still their story. Now, hear me out because I realize the logic is a little, a little shaky, but I think it's all our stories. I think every generation, there are little gods, there are false gods, there are idols that propel us or cause us to get distracted or divided or deceived. And every generation has to decide who they're going to trust or what they're going to trust and who they're going to listen to or what they're going to listen to. There's, there's a cliche that says God doesn't have any grandchildren. I don't know if you've heard it before. I know cliches aren't supposed to be said in talks, but I think whoever said this phrase that God doesn't have any grandchildren, what they mean is that every generation and every person has to decide who or what they're going to trust and believe in or base their life on. So if you had parents that have a strong faith in God, you don't get a pass. If you're a parent and you have a strong faith in God, your kids don't get a pass. We all have to make this decision. And, and the good news is that God loves us and he invites us into relationship. Not just you, not just me, all of humanity. He invites a relationship. And relationship starts with listening. Before Jesus quotes Moses for the most important command, it doesn't start with love. It actually starts with listen. Shema is the Hebrew word, listen or hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. See, what Moses is saying and what I think Jesus is saying is that relationship starts with listening and listening starts with not just hearing audio waves, but hearing, internalizing, and responding. I mean, God says this or endorses this when Jesus takes a couple of his closest followers up on a mountain. And the crazy thing is, Moses is connected to this story too. So it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 30, 20, starting in verse 28. And I think this is the key to everything that's going on here. About eight days later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples. They go up on a mountain to pray. And as they're praying, the appearance of Jesus' face is transformed. His clothes become dazzling white. And suddenly, two men, Moses, another prophet, Elijah, appear with Jesus and start talking to Jesus. Must have been crazy. Here's the craziest part. Moses and Elijah have these like weird, awe-inspiring exits from the world. Exoduses, if you will. And they're going to talk to Jesus about his exodus from the world. Two people that have deaths that kind of don't make a lot of sense. And it was glorious to see except Peter and the other disciples had fallen asleep. 
So when they wake up, they see Jesus in this glorious appearance and these two men talking to them. And as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, which I would love to have seen what that looked like, Peter, not even sure what he's saying, blurts out, Master, catch this, guys, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, this cloud overshadows them and terror grips them. And if you've been reading along in Immerse, you know that when a cloud overshadows that the presence of God is here. And this voice from the cloud in verse 35 says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. If I was in that moment... I would have been like, okay, I'm listening. What are you going to say? Because as a kid, when I wasn't listening to my parents, they would often say, listen to me. Are you listening? And I, would, I wasn't, so I'd be like, yes. And then they would repeat what I forgot or what I wasn't paying attention to, I should say. But in this story, there's no like next sentence. God doesn't speak a sentence. Jesus doesn't speak a sentence. It's just this active response of, Listen, because that's ultimately where relationship starts. And when relationship doesn't go there, it does what Peter does. It turns into religion. See, what Peter does is what all humans do or have a tendency to do. Turn relationship into religion. Peter has this moment. It's this glorious moment. It's this sacred moment. And he wants to memorialize it. He wants to freeze it in time. He wants to take a living moment and, and literally kill it. Now, an altar is often what God calls his people to do, and that's in living time, in present time, worship him. Build an altar, worship me. A memorial is different, though. A memorial is when you take up these stones or make this thing to remember what God had done. It's about the past. I mean, even the word memorial is a word we use in our culture to mean to celebrate death or to honor death or remember death. It's about the past. It's about something that God has already done. And then religion becomes this thing that I do to remember what God did. But in the midst of that, relationship can totally diminish. Relationship can deteriorate. And when it does, guess what we do? We focus on rules. Because rules make us feel like we're doing something. But relationship is about the listening and the loving. It's about knowing God. It's about experiencing God. It's about experiencing His love. So even today, we prayed before this meeting and before this streaming that you would experience God today. That this wouldn't just be something that you're watching. That there would be an interaction with you and the Holy Spirit. That when you open God's word, whether it's a book or it's on your phone, that you would experience God today. And if COVID and this COVID pandemic has showed us anything, it's how our relationship with God needs to permeate into every part of our lives. It's not just this little piece that we do on Sunday. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, he isn't saying, like, love the Lord your God by going through the motions, by keeping a list of rules, or by, you know, 
listing out good intentions. No, with everything you are. Put your whole identity in his identity. Now, the reality is in order to do that, we need a rhythm and we need rhythms in our life. It's true of friendships. It's true of marriages. And it's true with God. We need rhythms to practice regular encounters, to have regular moments where we listen to God, where we respond to God, where we're interacting with God. And Moses knew this. He knew that the promised land, this place called Canaan, was a place where there were different people, different cultures, and even different gods. And they were going to distract them from their relationship with the one true God. So what had been easy in the wilderness, because there were very few options, and everybody else was worshiping God, was now going to be harder because the people were going to have to be deliberate. They were going to have to choose to worship God. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) To be deliberate and to be intentional? I mean, I think if Moses was in our day and age, he would have said it like this. Like, there's, there's plenty of distractions in this new place. And it's going to be easy to drift towards what's convenient or easy or entertaining. And you're going to have to be intentional about prioritizing your relationship with God and creating rhythms in your home no matter how many people you live with. So for Moses and those people, they had all these visual reminders in the wilderness. They had a pillar of fire by night. They had a a cloud by day. They had manna every day. They had water that came from rocks. They had powerful reminders of God's visual presence. And those are all going away. In the new place, they're going to have to create their visual reminders. They're going to have to create rhythms of reminding themselves of how God has worked and then how he's currently working. I think he would say something similar to us today. You know, we're in a pandemic. We're not, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Like, we're not in the wilderness. We have smartphones and app stores and Xbox and YouTube and Snapchat and TikTok, and they're all fun. And add to that, we have fast food. We have road signs everywhere we go. We have iTunes. We can always be watching, listening, or playing with something. And it's harder and harder and harder for us to be still, for us to be intentional about spending time with the one who often doesn't speak very loud. And yet, God is still near. He still loves us. He still wants to spend time with us. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, um, our kids team and specifically our kids director, Christine, has shared this before. It's It's worth sharing again because I think these rhythms actually matter in our life, especially during COVID. And the great thing is you're already doing these things anyway. So it's not about adding something to your life. It's about being intentional with what you're already doing. And we find them actually in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. He says, repeat them again and again with your children. Talk to Talk about them, these words, when you're at home, when you're out on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. So these are just four times in your day that you already have 
They are especially important if you have young kids at home and you're trying to establish routines and establish a foundation for God. But they're even appropriate if you don't have kids at home or if you live alone. The first is mealtimes. When you're at home, at home is a time where most of the time meals are when you have to come together. And, and the pandemic has probably made it easier for a family to eat meals together. It's a time to have formal discussions. It's a time where you can establish family values, establish spiritual values. If you live alone, it's a time for you to think about just more formally how you spend time with God and where you spend time with God. It might be a a perfect time to do a devotional if you live alone. And so mealtimes are not a time to be wasted. They're a time to be utilized. Uh, you can even reach out to Christine and we can give you mealtime discussions or give you a link to, to have some of those discussions if you're not sure how to do that. So the second is travel time. It says when you're out on the road. Now, I realize that we got to spend more time in the car together before COVID hit, but the reality is with um, cars changing and giving more entertainment options and and children having more video games and cell phones and personal music, the car has become less of a point of connection. Not not judging it, I'm just saying that's the reality. And so we might have to think beyond the car, like walking together or biking together or going to the store together. These informal activities are a time and a non-threatening way to build relationship with your kids or with other people. And it's a time to just discover, if you have those kids at home, what they're thinking and who they are. It's a chance to dialogue more informally. If mealtimes are more formal, these travel times are more informal. It's an opportunity to sort of interpret life together. I often will go for a walk by myself and I'll just say, hey God, will you talk to me about what I experienced earlier today and what I was thinking about that and how that might be affecting my relationship with you or how it might be skewing my view of you. Um, If you have little kids and you're on this, you can say, hey, what surprised you about your day? Where did you see God at work? So travel time. Third is uh, bedtime. It says when you're going to bed. Now, probably one of the things that I missed most about my last uh, parenting stage is tucking my kids in at night. Now, when they were really little, this was like an hour and a half process that felt like torture. Um, I'd rather be on American Ninja Warrior or something, but, but actually, I, I deeply missed this time. Uh, it was filled with uh, stories when my kids were younger. It it's, was filled with like, kind of mini counseling talks when they were older where they would actually talk more than I would, where I'd get to ask them some questions. It's a time for intimate conversation. Kids often let their guard down at this time. When they're really little, their fears come up, and it gives you a chance to help them feel safe. And when they're a little bit older, their big life questions come up. And it's a chance for you to help them to feel accepted and to know, like, if you accept them as a parent, then there's a really good chance that God accepts them too. Uh, This is a time, if you live alone, for you to review your day with God, asking the Holy Spirit, hey, where was I really close to you? Holy Spirit, where did I just miss it? What was going on in that moment? 
What do you want to say to me in that moment? So bedtime, huge opportunity, whether we have kids or not. And then finally, uh, the last one, at least according to Deuteronomy 6, the last one is when you get up. I think the last one should probably be first because it's morning time. And I don't know what morning time is like for you. I'm learning to be a morning person. But morning doesn't have to be this rush out the door thing. Morning can actually be this moment where you pause. You might even bring up Lamentations 3.23 and you might even say, Oh, the Lord loves me and likes me. The faithfulness of the Lord is great, never ends. His mercies are new this morning. So how do I help the people that live in my home know that today is a new day? That God loves them and likes them. That his forgiveness, that his faithfulness, his abundance goes into this day. Uh, If you're a parent, you can see yourself as a coach and you just need to give a few inspiring words. Uh, You can either write them in a card, send it in their lunchbox. Maybe no one will make fun of them. Uh, Their their lunch is at home now because you're doing distance learning. So you can still set that card out and you'd be amazed at what happens even at your own kitchen table when someone gets to read a note. But it's something you can speak that that instills purpose for their day and their life. My kids, my kids who are high schoolers know that if I'm in the kitchen and they're going out the front door, they're probably going to get one of three phrases. They're going to get like, remember whose you are, or make it a great day, you can choose, or hey, keep your eyes open for where God's already at work, because he might want you to join in. Sounds a little harder because it's longer, but don't forget, God's at work. These are moments that we already have. There are moments that, whether we have kids at home or not, are, are moments where we can mark our day in a rhythm, not because it's a list of duties, but it's part of the delight of being in relationship. And God wants to be in relationship with you. And, and if you have ones at home and you're trying to pass this faith on, and you're thinking like, I can't do it. I I can't give what I don't have. If you're feeling that, I need you to know that it's never too late. God is not in the business of keeping a list, checking it twice. That comes by someone else later. God is in the business of coming to everyone, saying, I love you. No matter how far you are. Moses gets this. We'll read this at the end of Deuteronomy. That Moses knows these people's hearts are hard. They're stubborn because they're human. Because they try to do it in their own strength. That they need a new heart actually and a new spirit. The prophets that come later will actually say that. They'll refer back to this point in Deuteronomy 30 where Moses challenges them to choose life and to ask God for a new heart and a new spirit because he knows they can't do it on their own. That's why God sent Jesus Christ to live and to love us and to die for us, to give us what we couldn't give on our own so that when he went to the Father, he sent the Spirit into the world so that we might not just have the Spirit but have a new heart to actually love God, to delight in him, to love other people, to not have a list of 600 rules, but to have two. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we love through listening for him. And that we love our neighbor as ourselves, because God loves 
Everyone, not just me, not just you. So what do you need to do today? How do you need to ask God or what do you need to ask God for in this time? Is it just to be intentional about these rhythms? Or do you need to ask God for a new heart? Do you need to ask God for what you've never asked God for before? For the forgiveness of Jesus to come into your life, to flood your soul, and to make you new. You can ask him. He wants you to ask him. He'll change you from the inside out. So what does God need to do for you? It's okay for you to comment. Ask, type it in the comments right now. We'll be praying for you after this time. And have you asked God for it? So what does God need to do? Another question would be, what do you need to do? Maybe what structures or decisions do you need to make at home? How do you need to change things just to prioritize a little bit more what matters most? And then what rhythms are working right now? What can you celebrate? And what rhythms do you need help with? Again, please post in the comments. We would love to pray for you and pray with you because God is in this place. He is in this moment right now if you just reach out to him. Again, as we continue through the season, you're going to see in Advent an opportunity to engage with God. So again, go back, hear the message from Christine about the different things that we have going on. But in this moment, just make this moment sacred by asking God where he can meet you right now. So Father, we give you this time, we thank you for your word that is not just a bunch of rules, but that's life. That's instruction for our good. God, that's ultimately about a relationship with you. Forgive us when we have it deteriorate into religion or into a list of rules. Help us to remember that relationship with you ultimately starts with listening and then responding with love. That that love is the motivation and the power and the force that helps us to listen. And that as we listen, we are able to love you more. Your words are life. Your words are wisdom. And Jesus, we want to follow you with all that we have. I pray especially for those that feel like they haven't done enough. For those that feel like it's too late. God, I pray for not just that person, but that family those relationships that are connected. God, that you would reach out with your forgiveness and your mercy like you do with so many. God, thank you that it's true that where we started, that you love the whole world, that you gave your one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but God will have eternal life. 